the Lord. How many are just so in love with Jesus you can't hardly stand it? Amen. You bet. You bet. It is always a joy to be here at River of Life and uh, to be among friends and family and to see familiar faces and see new faces, and that's always an exciting thing. And so uh, I just greet you today in the name of the Lord and, and just always amazed at all that God is doing through a group of people like you. It's just amazing what God can do. How many believe that God can change the world from Franklin Parish right here in this place? Amen. And that He is. All that you're doing in Africa and various places around the world and continents, and then whether it's across the street or across town or across the world, God is using you to impact the, the people of God and people who don't know the Lord with a, a message that's transforming people everywhere you go. So it's always a joy to be here. I, I, there's just something, you know, I just feel something special when I come on the property, and today's no different. And Man, the worship was great. How many enjoyed the worship team? Wasn't that good? Yeah, you guys are just getting better and better and better, and so it's a joy to be here. A lot of things are happening with Destiny Ministries uh, these days as well, and I won't take a lot of time to talk about that, but uh, God is blessing Destiny, and we're excited about... Uh, all that he's doing. As a matter of fact, Kath, uh, who couldn't be with me today, I mean, I'd love for her to be with me every Sunday morning and every time uh, I'm on the road, but she couldn't be here today. But she sent her greeting and love. I talked to her early this morning. She said, be sure and tell everyone hello and that uh, we love them. And she and I, over the last six weeks or so, have been all over the United States. It's amazing, honestly, uh, where all that we've been the last uh, five or six weeks. I think we've been to Washington, D.C. twice, New York City, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Austin, Texas, uh, just in the last five or six weeks. And so it's been, I, I had reached a point in, in age that I thought, okay, it's time to pull the ponies back. And uh, I guess God had a bit different in th things in mind. And so uh, I believe he's going to renew my strength. Amen. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not... I feel I just preached that passage. That'd be all right. Amen. But anyway, we're so excited. But there is no place I'd rather be in the entire world uh, this morning than right here with you. And how many believe that the Lord could give us a word out of, out of the Scripture that could be uh, so powerful that it could change our entire lives in just a few minutes. Amen? Amen. So some of you are thinking, well, quit talking and get on with it. Commence. All right. So I'm going to commence. And if you have your Bible, take your Bible. I want to talk to you today about the big road. The big road. Everybody say with me, the big road. So much of our life is spent not on the big roads of life, but on the back roads of life. The alleys, the byways. How many of you have lived life long enough to know that if you let life be your guide, it will take you into all kinds of crazy places and put you on all kinds of weird roads that really had nothing to do with who God's called you to be or what God's called you to do. There are moments in our life that we have to hear Jesus as the disciples did in the story that I'm about to share with you. We have to hear Jesus call us to the big road. The big road is where big ideas are presented, big questions are answered, big discoveries are made. And so today we're going to journey to the big road. Open with me to the book of Matthew and we're going to look at chapter number 16. And I want to read a passage in your hearing and I would appreciate so much if you would stand with me as we read God's word. 
Matthew chapter number 16, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. I like to dramatize the reading a little bit, kind of adds it. My version of multimedia. Some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, or, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But who do you say that I am? A big question. A big question. Who am I to you? Simon Peter answered and said, I know who you are. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, that sounded real southern, didn't it? Hell (laughs) shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, if you have a highlighter, you might want to highlight that in your Bible or underline it if you haven't already. From that time, this is about six months before Calvary. So this is October before Jesus would be crucified in April. So so the disciples had already been following Jesus for roughly three years. This is only six months before He would be crucified. Notice from that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. He turned to Peter and said, Behold, or get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. It's interesting the things that the Lord says to us on the big road. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. All right, so you can close your Bible. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the anointing that's already on your word and upon these people. These are anointed people. Lord, we open our filters today. We open our minds today to hear you and to see you, to experience you, and to be changed by you. And Lord, by your Spirit, we ask that you will flood every heart and every mind for your glory until we all reflect your image and your likeness in the world in which we live. In Jesus' great name, amen. High five somebody before you're seated. Tell them, get ready for the word of the Lord. The big road. The big road. So today I want to talk to all of us in the room. You know, when you're preparing for these kinds of moments, you think about the crowd, or at least I do. I think about the people that are going to be in the room. I don't want to come and just sermonize and 
and deliver some sort of exegetically accurate homily that's based in some theological idea that nobody's ever heard of or cares about. I want to come and deliver a word that's on time and on target. A word that's birthed and born in the heart of God and a word that transcends the circumstances of our life. A word that everybody can relate to. Something for everyone. That's how I like to do it. When, and that's my goal. I certainly don't suggest to you that I always achieve that end, but that is always my goal. To say something that can impact your life no matter where you're from or what your story in life is about. So I'm going to speak today to saints and sinners, leaders and followers, and hopefully I'm going to tell you a story today that's going to speak to all of you. Because the truth is we're all travelers, all of us are travelers through time. Someone once said that time is a gift from the Almighty that helps us experience things without them all happening at once. Time. But nevertheless, we all are travelers indeed. We live life on roads and roadways. Life's filled with them. Avenues and boulevards and pathways and alleys. From here to there, from now to then, and you're either in one place or somewhere in between. But every one of us are travelers on the road of life. How many, if you're here and you're breathing, you have a pulse, would agree with me today? Amen. So every day we're on some type of road. And we learn leadership lessons. And we learn life lessons on roadways. So much of what we learn. You had to get in your car and drive over to the church this morning. So you got up this morning and... You got in your car and you got on the roadway. When you buy your groceries, you travel a certain road. Or when you go to see a friend or a family member, you have to get on a roadway to do it. And there's so much basic logic and wisdom that we learn on roads. I, I remember our little girl, uh, she's not so little, she's 35 years old now. But when Jordan was a little girl, she used to love Alice in Wonderland. And I don't know whether... All you burly men and you uh, sophisticated ladies are up on your Alice in Wonderland story or not. But, you know, Alice is wondering. She's on her way someplace and she wanders up to a fork in the road. And the hare sitting there in the fork in the road. And the hare asks Alice, where are you going? She said, I don't know. He said, either road will take you there. You know. The truth is, so many of us, that's how we navigate the roads of life. We don't really know where we're going. And so consequently, the road that we travel is of no consequence. It's like, it doesn't really matter. So we live as opportunists, just looking for an opportunity. And someone invites you on a journey and you take the, you take the turn and wind up perhaps a long ways from where you ought to be. And a long ways from where God has planned for you. But when you have a sense of purpose and you have a sense of destiny, and you understand that God has a plan for your life, that you're not just a product of cosmic chaos or, or you're not just a product of random chance or, or some sort of evolutionary process. You actually were created by a creator who has a plan for your life. Then that plan involves a destination. And to get to that destination, sometimes you have to get off the back roads of circumstance and situations and life and out of the alleys of, of, of rebellion and out of the alleys of self-interest. And you have to get on the big road that can take you someplace. Amen. Roads test us. Our choice about roads test us. 
which road we're going to travel. They examine our motives and they challenge our endurance and they test our sense of direction and our dedication to those roads. And I don't know how I ever got around in life, to be honest with you, before GPS. Even though I don't like to be talked to that way by that lady with a foreign accent. And anybody in the room ever been ticked off by that lady saying, turn around, make a U-turn, make you It's like if I could turn around, I would. I could. What do you do? I can't turn around. I'm on a boulevard. There's a, a bank there. I can't do it. But they seem to know where you are. They just don't understand how to get you where you need to go. We probably all had that experience. And sometimes that's kind of how life is, right? I mean... We have a lot of advice and a lot of people telling us, and a lot of times they don't know any more about your destination than you do. And you can get all jacked up trying to follow somebody's directions that don't know the way. But on roads, here we go. Trying to get where we need to go. Trying to get ahead. Trying to get from one place to another. Trying to get ahead of our past. Trying to get away from the reality of who we've been. And we're all travelers on the roads of life. I remember uh, one of the early visits that we made to Israel. We take trips and we take uh, students and have over the years on occasion. I remember one of the early trips we had. We were being hosted there by a, a, a retired lieutenant colonel from the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. And uh, this man was also a historian, had written a number of books about Israel and the land and he knew every rock, as you can imagine. I asked him one time, I said, have you ever been to Jordan? And he said, not as a tourist. <laughs> and I said, okay, I don't want to hear more about that. But he knew it seemed like every road and every rock and turn. And the very first morning that we were there, we had flown in from New York City into Tel Aviv. And we landed and we took a bus into the Galilee. And uh, there we were going to begin our trip. And the very first morning, he took us over to a village that had an ancient synagogue in it. And we were excited about seeing all the ruins and the things. People are always excited to see that. But he set us down in that ancient synagogue on the very first time that we were there. And he said, the story of humanity is the story of roads and water. And he said, I'm going to show you where the ancient roads were and the ancient water sources were. And then we're going to unpack the biblical story from that. It was amazing. We, we kind of get this idea about Jesus and him being some, you know, well, he was born in Bethlehem, which was up in the Judean highlands and, and uh, in, in the kind of hillbilly precincts of Israel. And then he was raised in Nazareth, which was still in the Judean highlands. But when he opened his ministry and set up his base of ministry operation, he essentially moved down to a major highway. He moved down to a major roadway. And it was a village called Capernaum that was on the Sea of Galilee, a village on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee that would become the basis of Jesus' ministry. And it's interesting because if you look at the ancient roadways, there were two primary trade routes that cut the nation of Israel in half. One traveled across the mountains. It was called the King's Highway. Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Hebron, some of those cities were on that way. But then there was a way out by the sea. It was called the Via Morris. 
And that was an ancient trade route. And if you've ever wondered, why was Israel so critical? Why was it important? Isn't it weird that God chose this obscure place in all of history to kind of unpack the story of redemption? And Well, it was because Israel was a land bridge that connected three continents. So you have just, everybody just stay with me for my geography lesson, okay? And I'll get you someplace in a second. So you have these three continents. You have Asia to the east and all the trade. You have Africa to the south and you have Europe to the west. And if you're going to trade with Africa, which was a major trading source of commerce in the first century, Alexandria, Egypt being one of the gateway cities there, Egypt being like the first lead nation on the Egyptian continent. And if you're going to trade with Asia, if you're going to trade with Europe, then you had to travel through Israel. And it's interesting that if you were traveling down the Via Morris, there was this natural pathway, this natural road roadway that had been traveled for centuries. But you had to detour because of one of the mountain ranges. It was a mount, a mount called Mount Carmel. And if you were going to get to Alexandria in the south, you had to detour from the, the, along the way of the Mediterranean into a, this interesting place where there was a great source of fresh water. And it was called the Sea of Galilee. And that roadway converged in a village called Capernaum. People would travel from these various sectors and come to travel and trade with Africa and vice versa. And they would stop there along the Lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee as you read it in your Bible. And they would refresh their animals. Sometimes they'd stay for weeks on end because it was the only good source of fresh water in the Middle East that was easily accessible. And so they would get there and they would stay. If you wonder why Jesus moved out of Nazareth and out of Bethlehem and eventually to Nazareth, and then when he started his ministry operations, he moved to Capernaum because he essentially moved to a major roadway that was suitable for declaring a big message. Here, all of these continents would converge. And no wonder the writer of the New Testament narrative later said, and the fame of him spread throughout all of Syria. How did that happen? It's because these caravans were staying there and they didn't have cable television and there wasn't a Super Bowl that they could watch. There wasn't a major sporting event. If you were going to be entertained in the evenings, you would go out and sit on the ridges and listen to the rabbis teach and preach. And there happened to be a rabbi who was young and dynamic, but he didn't just teach and preach. He worked miracles. You could actually go out there and hear him deliver messages like the Beatitudes and you could hear him deliver messages like the Sermon on the Mount. But then you know, if the things got a little boring in the preaching, you could see people who were dead get off their cots and be raised from the dead. You could get people who had been blind their entire life, have their eyes opened. Are y'all in the room with me today? I mean, this is a sight and sound spectacular, right? And it was all based on the road there centered around Capernaum. And that's kind of the setting, because there's a lot of things going on in the history of the story that I'm opening for you today. So Jesus had been ministering for about three years or so. John the Baptist, about maybe, oh, roughly a year and a half into Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist is arrested. Now, you have to understand that John the Baptist is the first prophet that has emerged for over 400 years. 
You're talking about a backslidden condition. Israel was in a backslidden condition. The Bible says no open revelation, no prophetic priest, no teaching priest, no voice of prophecy for 400 years. And suddenly out of that darkness, this blazing weird prophet. I mean, I guess that's why a lot of prophets today who operate in that gift feel like they need to be weird for us to accept them because John the Baptist was weird. But I just want to, I don't want to blow anybody's theological halo off, but it doesn't make us think you're more spiritual if you're a whack job. Just so you know. But John the Baptist was out of the ordinary. I mean, he wore strange clothing. He had a strange diet. He was certainly not conventional. He did not fit the conventional norms of the day. And he came preaching a message that was radical. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and be baptized. And that, that message, literally, people had been disenfranchised. They were turned off my mainstream religion. Largely, they had quit going to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was run by a bunch of crooks and crooked preachers. It's true. And they had largely lost confidence in what was going on in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, the priesthood had been sold by the Romans to the family of Caiaphas. They essentially sold it to the highest bidder because it was quite a money-making operation. These were not authentic, Aaronic, descended priests that were operating the temple in the days of Jesus. So people had kind of turned off. And so suddenly, all these thousands, tens of thousands of people began to gather along this riverbank for this weird, radical prophet who brought a word they hadn't heard for 400 years. And that is that God was about to do something great in their midst. And if they wanted to be part of what God was doing, they needed to repent of their sins and be baptized. But, and so John had filled this vacuum of power and, and then suddenly about a year and a half into Jesus' ministry, John has been arrested and not far from that moment, he's now been executed. It's created a vacuum of power. Even feeling the effects and the ripples of that in Jerusalem so they send a team of ambassadors from the high courts and, and the high temple in Jerusalem to ask Jesus to fill the vacuum of power that had been created by the absence of John the Baptist. As our story opens, they have come to Jesus and said, we are prepared to offer you the throne. We are concerned, this is my paraphrase, we are concerned about the instability that John's absence brings. If you are the Messiah, then it's time to lead us. But we ask for one more sign. Now you see, up until this time, the disciples thought that that's what this was all about. Right? Because... Matthew tells us that it was from this time that Jesus told them that he would go and die. No, they were thinking that he was going to go and reign from Jerusalem. It's like, man, I signed on to the team because I'm going to be like the Secretary of Defense and you're going to be the treasurer. And they were expecting a warring Messiah who would come and liberate Israel from the oppressive bondage of the Romans and the influence of debauchery and of Greek influence. They thought he was going to clean house and run everybody out of town. And that's how it was going to work. And that's what they expected the Jewish Messiah to be. They never imagined a Messiah who would come and die. 
You're talking about being strange. So for three years, they've seen him working miracles and they've seen him preaching. They think, man, this is the Messiah. It's going to get good around here pretty soon. One of these days, he's going to put an army together and he's going to not just talk about peace. He's going to draw a sword and we're going to march on Jerusalem and we're going to run the Romans out of town and we're going to make all those crooks get out of town. And it's going to be, that's going to be beautiful. It'll be like it always was at one time. That's what they expected. But the thing is, Jesus' destiny wasn't the throne of Jerusalem. It was the cross of Calvary. He didn't come to reign. He came to die. But they didn't understand that because you don't really get that on the back roads of your philosophy. You don't really get that on the back roads of what your culture has told you. You don't really get that on the back roads and the, and the alleyways of life and the brokenness of life that leads us all down these strange paths. No, no, sometimes you've got to be drawn to a big road to where you can answer big questions and have big solutions offered to your problems. Instead of a band-aid fix or just trying to find a way to medicate the pain of your life. Being able to say, no, no, this has not done it for me. I've got to find something bigger than this that can offer hope and help in my life and to my family. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. But you can't really fault the disciples because that's where they were. They just thought that's what the Messiah would do. We knew, they just knew any day. So when the disciples heard the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, if you'll give us one more sign, we are prepared to take you to Jerusalem on a horse and declare you king of Israel and we will follow you in a revolt. You know, the disciples thought, okay, here it is, man, been waiting. Yes, this is it. This is our moment. This is our time. He started with teaching and miracles, but now he's about to draw the sword. And instead, Jesus said, uh, you need to take a walk with me because I need to explain some things to you. And he takes them away from Capernaum along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he takes them toward a place that probably they had never been before. You say, how do you know that? It's because it was a city called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And as you're approaching Caesarea Philippi, you see the mountains in the background of Mount Hermon with its snowy peaks. And the headwaters of the Jordan River comes out of a cave in the foothills of that mountain. And there's a city built there. The Romans built it. It was, a, it was, a, it was an amazing place. It's, it, today, it, then it was beautiful. Today it's beautiful. It's, if you can imagine all the, the beautiful babbling brook, the spring that comes out and creates the headwaters of the river and the snowy mountains in the background. And there's this big cave where the water runs runs out and they had built a city there along the foothills and they the, anything you wanted in that, that you wanted in life anything your flesh wanted you could get in Caesarea Philippi it was such it was the Vegas of Palestine y'all I mean whatever you can imagine wine women men song anything in between you could get it you could get drugs there you could get idolatry ever every imaginable idol was worshiped there it was all the comforts of Rome because they had built it there for their officers to have this retreat area. It was such a bad place that the rabbinical teaching of the day forbid the Jews to even go there. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is taking the disciples to a place that they've never been to tell them something they've never heard and show them something they've never seen? Sometimes God's got to do that with you. Can I get an amen on credit? 
Sometimes God's got to get you out of the comfort zones of what's familiar. Sometimes God's got to break you out of some things that seem normal and seem familiar to you to get you on some strange ground, to help you think a different way than you've ever thought before. To get you to consider some options you've never really considered before. And so Jesus took his disciples on the road to Caesarea Philippi. One of the other things that you see about Caesarea Philippi is that one of the idols that was worshipped there was the Syrian god of fear. Called Pan. The Syrian god of fear. Uh, and incidentally, it's where we get our word panic, by the way. So as you're walking up the road to Caesarea Philippi, and you, you from a far distance, because they built the temple of Pan right there at the cave where the water comes out that forms the Jordan River. And it's, they believe that there were several other demons that hung out in the cave, the people, the local superstition. And one of them they called Echo. And ironically, when you walked to the mouth of the cave and you shouted, Echo would talk back to you. So they had to know it was true. Right? So imagine this. Against the backdrop of everything the world had to offer. And the thing that most people were most afraid of. Our story opens when Jesus probably gets within visible range of, of that temple. And he turns and he looks at those guys in the face. It's like the whole walk has been about this moment. And he turns and kicks the dust and looks at them and said, What are they saying about me in Jerusalem? What are, they, what, are the, what are the morning talk shows saying about me? What are the political pundits saying about it? Uh, well, Lord, uh, some of them are saying that you're uh, one of the prophets. And some of them, there's like mixed opinions even among the disciples as to what the current idea of who this Messiah was. And whether he was really the Messiah indeed or not. Who he was, whether he was an imposter. Uh, some say you're Je Jeremiah that has, has been reincarnated. Some, some say that you're John the Baptist who didn't really die and... And there's a lot of mixed opinions. But you understand it wasn't the first question that was the big question. The big question was the second question that the first question opened up. And sometimes God's got to ask you a first question to get you positioned to ask you the big question. The big question that you only encounter on the big road of life. And that is it's not about what they say about me. It's what do you say about me. Who am I to you? Who am I to you? That is the big question that will define the biggest answer of your life. It's more important than where you live. It's more important than how much money you make. It's more important than the kind of car you drive. It's more important than how much money you have in your pocket. It is what are you going to do with God and who is Jesus Christ to you? It happens on big roads. How long will you keep... Chasing life moments on the back roads of life and the back alleys of despair and the back alleyways of depression and discouragement when the Lord is inviting you to join Him on the road to Caesarea Philippi and let you settle once and for all who is Jesus to you. Because everything else, ladies and gentlemen, streams from that question. Every other answer, every other discovery streams from that reality. And he understood that his disciples, before they were about to hear what they'd never heard before, and they wouldn't be able to take it if they hadn't settled in their mind who Jesus was. Peter says, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. Christ in the Greek. You're the Messiah. 
You are the son of the living God. And Peter, you know, has a tendency to kind of get his foot in his mouth sometimes, right? Am, am I right? Peter's not always, he doesn't have it all together. Got anger issues. And you push the wrong buttons and rub him the wrong way, you can see the other side of Peter. But on this moment, he swung for the fence and knocked it out of the park. He said, I know who you are. And I love Jesus' response. He said, blessed are you, Simon. And he calls Peter three names in that passage. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas. Simon, just an everyday guy. You know, you know Simon. We know Simon. He's the son of Jonas. They live down the road. You know, it's, he grew up not far from us. And Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say that thou art Peter. Let me show you some things that happened on this road. On the big roads of life, you answer the biggest questions. The questions that we haven't answered yet, many of us. The proverbial million-dollar question, arguably the greatest question, is who is Jesus to you? And it's the truth is that question, in one form or another, drives us to all the other roads of life that we Look for, looking for answers. Trying to find a fix to the broken places in our heart. But I tell you a truth today that nothing will ever answer or satisfy you until you find peace in Him. But the second thing that we see is on the big roads of life, you make your greatest discoveries. And that's what Peter, he's, he says, you're Simon. I know you're Simon, but today you're Peter. No, wait a minute. Can you imagine, just imagine the dialogue that could have gone on. I know who you are. You're the, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus then says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas, just normal guy. For flesh and blood, you didn't get this out of a book. This came to you by revelation of my Father. And in that revelation, I say that thou art Peter. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute, Lord. What are you talking about? Changing my identity? Changing my name? I'm Simon. That's all I've ever been. That's who they called me. I'm Simon. Jesus said, not from today forward. No. No, Simon, that's, Simon's who you used to be. That's who you were. Now you're Peter. Peter. Part of the rock of my revelation of who I am in your life. And that discovery will begin to shade and adjust and flavor everything in your life from this moment. Against the backdrop of all the world has to offer. And against the greatest things that challenge you and you're afraid of in life. You have come to the conclusion of who I am. And when you understand who I am, I can help you understand who you are. Yeah. Amen. I'm convinced that from that day forward, every time somebody called Peter's name, Hey, Peter, let's go fishing. Peter, you got the boat. I'm convinced that every moment that he heard the name Peter from that day forward, he always remembered that's the name Jesus called me. That's the name. By, by life and by birth, I was Simon. But there came a moment on the big road that the Lord asked me who I was and who he was. And when I settled it, he changed my name. You're calling me the name Jesus gave me. It can change everything in your life. 
The third thing that I see that happens on this road is he experienced his greatest potential. So he answered the greatest questions on the big road. You answer the greatest questions of life. On the big road, you make the greatest discoveries of life. And on the big road, you find your greatest potential. Once Peter had found the, question, the answer to life's greatest question and made the discovery of his identity, now he received his power to become and reach his greatest potential. When Jesus said to him, listen, Jesus said it to him, I will give you keys to the kingdom. Can I tell you when the great locksmith of the universe gives you a key, you got a key to everything. You didn't, no, 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 listen, I know y'all understand what I'm saying. In other words, at this church, there's a whole lot of doors that lock and maybe there's a master key. Perhaps there is. Most churches, most buildings, most complexes have a master key that opens every door. So you see, in a few things that you know, oh, I know about math, or I know about science. Or I... Knowing who you are comes from knowing whose you are. And listen, then your authority is not bound up in performance, it's bound up in identity. No, no, then it's not, I can do it because I'm good, because I'm not good. I can do it because on the road where I answered the big question, he gave me a master key. And that key represents access, it represents authority, it represents accountability and responsibility. Oh yeah, in the power and the joy that we experience in the kingdom, we must always remember that at the end of the business day, when the Lord wraps all this thing up, He's going to hold the key holders accountable for what doors were unlocked and what doors weren't unlocked. I need a better amen than that, because that's true right there. <laughs> yeah, we get excited about the access and authority, but we slow down a little bit when it's like I'm responsible. It's part of your potential. Herein rests the formula of your potential, understanding that you have direct access and that you have authority and that you have the responsibility to walk in the image and likeness of Jesus in ever-progressive and growing dimensions. Somebody say with me, ever-progressive and growing dimensions. See, those keys will do more than you know they'll do. Think about it for a minute. I said the keys of the kingdom will do more than most of us have figured out they'll do. And as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, and you grow in your revelation of God and who He is and who you are, there'll be doors that you thought were locked to you that will be unlocked by you because you finally figured out that that key would do more than just open door 1, 2, and 3. That door will also open 7, 8, 9, and 10, and so on. Are y'all in the room with me? You know what I'm saying? Well, oh no, we hadn't even begun to know all the doors that the keys of the kingdom will unlock yet. But I'll tell you what they're unlocking. As people get revelation of the power and the grace of God, and the purpose of God, God in Christ and in you, when you understand what He accomplished in Jesus and what He is accomplishing in you, then suddenly you can begin to unlock doors of unforgiveness. You can begin to unlock doors of prejudice. You can begin to unlock doors of hatred. You can begin to unlock doors of poverty. You can begin... Are you all in the room? I'm talking about... He, he said to Peter, Peter, I'll give you keys to the kingdom. And you say, oh, that's just preach, man. You're just preaching. No, just keep reading the story. And he said, and whatever you bind. He didn't say whatever I bind. 
He said, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed. What's, ladies and gentlemen, what's going to happen when the body of Christ arises to her full glory with a fully developed understanding of who Jesus is, what He's done at Calvary and in the resurrection and what that means to us and who I have become in Christ Jesus. What's going to happen when we enter the full knowledge of all that we can be and do in Christ Jesus and now we have received the authority and the access to do it on His behalf? I believe the world can change. I believe it. Y'all may call me crazy, but I believe the world can change. I don't mean in and of itself. I'm talking about through a change agency of the body of Christ that's rising to her full glory in the kingdom of God. And that starts with you. And it starts on the road to Caesarea Philippi where you decide whether your life is going to be about you and what you want and the roadways of life that have been detours in your life that took you way off plane or whether you're going to hear the call of Jesus and let Him speak to the call that's inside of you and draw you up to the big road of life so you can settle the big questions, make your big discoveries and experience your greatest potential. All right, so that's essentially my message. Let me close with one last big road idea. Let me close with one last big road idea. And all that's good. I don't have to be afraid of pan. Nothing in the world that they can entice me with has authority and power over me. Lord, we can just wrap up this seminar right now. And go back to Galilee. I get it. And he said, no, if you stop short, you'll miss the point. And this is what he said. And from that time forward, Jesus explained to them how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. And this is where the rubber met the road of their understanding. Because they never imagined a Messiah that would have to do that. I don't know whether y'all, y'all may not think, sometimes I think with a little mischief. So I'm not going to put that on y'all. I, I just do, so y'all pray for me, okay? <laughs> but I'm thinking if I've been on the pathway walking with this man for three years and he's never told me that his destiny is not the throne, but rather his destiny is the cross, I'm thinking, thanks, Jesus. Anybody else not too holy that she's like, yeah, I might have been a little ticked by that. It's like, thanks a lot, Lord. Letting me imagine the parade and the triumphant celebration. Letting me relish in the moments in my imagination of what's going to be. And you tell me, you tell me three years into the process... That no, you're going to be drugged through the streets and stripped naked and beaten and crucified? What have you been smoking? Jesus had to wait till they were ready. Because a one year, a one year man like Peter wouldn't have been able to handle that. Matter of fact, he almost didn't handle it three years in, right? Because what does the scripture say that he did? He pulled him aside and said, 
No, 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 Lord. No, and we read it with a little smile, but if you look at the Greek and you look at the original language it was written in, the mood and the tense is much more turbulent and much more perturbed than that. No, no, he, that's why the translator used the word rebuked him. He pulled him aside and he said, no, 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 buddy, you got it all wrong. No, no, you're going to get on that horse and you're going to draw that sword like all we, we have always believed the Messiah is going to do and you're going to do it that way. That's the tenor. That's the mood of the language. It's like, I am not going to allow it to be the way you've described. That's what provoked the response of Jesus. When he looked back into the same eyes. Listen, he looked right back into the same eyes that he had acknowledged as Simon, just an everyday guy, and that he would acknowledged as Peter, the apostle, part of the rock. And he looked right back into those same eyes and he said, Get behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense to me. Why? Because you are not mindful of the things of God. You are mindful of the things of men. In other words, Peter, you've not been quite delivered from your men, your, your ideas of men that mess you up. Peter, you're still struggling on the back roads of life. Peter, get out of the alley. Get out of the alley of what you think it's got to be and how you thought it's got to get, get out of that. Peter, you cannot bind me up to make me do this thing the way you think it ought to be done. You've got to be willing to go with me on this. And for all of us leaders in the room, I think it's encouraging to realize that Simon Peter, in about six verses, was called Simon, an everyday guy, Peter, the rock of revelation, and straight up the devil. So don't ever think that you've gotten so holy that you can't let your mind lead you onto a wrong path and the enemy use you. I need a leadership amen. We hold our leadership humbly and loosely, don't we? And the way we think things have got to happen, we have to lay them on the altar. Stand with me, would you? Get behind me, Satan. He said, for thou art an offense to me. For thou art mindful of the things of men and not the things of God. My paraphrase. He said, Peter, if you're to follow me on the road ahead. Oh, and there's, it's like the pitch guy, right? On late night television. But wait, there's more. Because this is the first time that Jesus ever revealed to his disciples that he was going to die. Only six months before the cross. But it's also the first time in the Gospels that he says, Oh, did I mention that so are you? <laughs> oh, did I mention that I'm not just going to die? Did I mention that so are you? Big road stuff. Big road stuff. It's the first time in the Scripture... At this place in Matthew, it's the first time in the scripture that this phrase is used. If any man comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, the big road is where you get the big questions. It's where you make the big discoveries. It's where you discover your greatest potential. 
big stuff. But it's also where God confronts you with your biggest sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> Following me is an invitation to die. That was the words of Jesus. Not, not in the big scope of the ultimate death, because no, it's about life. But we all have to come to a place on the big road where we are willing to sacrifice all the self-words. Combinations of them. Self-awareness, self-consciousness, self-preservation, self-serving. Now, all of these have to be laid on the altar of sacrifice and put to death. But it's hard to do it in your, when you're dealing in the back alleys and the side roads and the back roads. The Lord has to draw us to the big road sometimes to let us decide whether we're willing to sacrifice self for the greater purposes of God in our life. Roads. I always heard a cliche that you can't escape yourself wherever you go, there you are. But you can have an experience with God on the road that makes that statement untrue. Because you can follow Jesus on the big road and discover that you're more than you ever thought you could be. Today each of us stands on the same road. As I've shared this message with you and read the scripture, it's pulled us all to the big road. I mentioned saying something that affects everyone. We're all on the same road, but maybe we're struggling with different questions. For some of you, you're answering question number one, who is Jesus to you? And you haven't settled that yet. For some, it's question two, who am I in Him? For others, it's question three, what am I called to do and do I have the power? Do I have enough to get the job done? And some, it's number four, it's are you willing to deny yourself? To the level that you can really be who he's called you to be. Something for everyone. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Thank you. I felt the pull of your spirit to the big road. And Lord, I know there are others in the room. So here's what I'd like you to do. If you're here and you'd say, Brother Brassfield, I'm dealing with road number one. The truth is, I have never really come face to face with who Jesus is. But I feel that nudge to do it today. Would you just slip your hand up right where you are just and hold it for just a second. Anyone, I'm dealing with question number one. Are you here and you're dealing with question number two? I know who Jesus is, but I'm struggling with who I am in Him. Would you raise your hand? I see hands going up, yes. All over the room. Some of you have got it figured out. Okay, I know who I am in Christ. I get that part of the message. But the truth is, the things of the world and things I'm afraid of have convinced me that, or, or that battle is raging, whether I have the keys to the kingdom and really have the authority and power but I hear what you're saying, and I'm wrestling with that question. Would you raise your hand? And if you're here today and you're saying, if I'm honest, 
I'm wrestling with self and sacrificing myself. Would you raise your hand? I see that those hands going up. Hands. All right, there were hands. Between those four categories, there were hands all over this building. I believe this is how it works in the kingdom. We've joined him on the road. You've heard the word of the Lord. You've responded to the word of the Lord. Now the scripture teaches us if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that salvation or redemption comes. It's not just how you get saved. It's how everything in the kingdom works. You say, oh, I prayed that prayer and got saved months ago or years ago. It doesn't matter. Everything in the kingdom happens the same way. You hear it. The revelation comes. You believe it in your heart. You confess it with your mouth. And transformation comes. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to, no grand, big grand. I'm going to pray this prayer with you. And I want you to pray it with me. And if you pray it and believe it in your heart. And you speak it. Let your head hear your mouth say it. As you do that, the miraculous, supernatural power of the Holy Spirit will do the work in you. Jesus described it this way. He said it's like leaven yeast that's put into a mound of flour. And if you put it in there and though it's small and the mound is big, over time the mound is transformed because the yeast has been inserted. So what we're going to do today is by, by faith and agreement through the grace of God, we're going to insert some leaven, some yeast into your lump. And over time that yeast is going to do its work and you're going to be fully transformed. Is anybody, anybody in the room believe that with me today? Amen? So pray this prayer with me and let your head hear you say it. Lord Jesus, today... I join you on the big road. I hear big words. And I believe them in my heart. I believe that you're the Christ. The son of the living God. I accept the full benefit of your sacrifice. I believe that you've changed my name. And given me a brand new identity in you. And I expect the full power and product of that new identity. I believe, Lord, today that you have given me keys to the kingdom so that I can do what you called me to do. Therefore, I have access. I have authority. And now the responsibility of revelation. Therefore, I will behave and walk As a son and a daughter of God. I lay myself. On the altar. And I join you. Not just on the road to big ideas. But with the cross. I thank you. For the strength. And the courage. To follow you all the way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you receive the word of the Lord, would you give him a hand clap of praise today? Amen. God bless you.